Welcome to the Arena Decklist Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson. Joined, as always, Brian Gottlieb is with me today. And we're back to preview season. Everything is right with the world. It is just where we want it. Brief break from preview season. I think one week off, and that's all I needed. I'm, I'm ready for new cards. And we have quite a few spicy ones. We can also check in on Historic, though. I think we should start with these new cards. They're they're the talk of the town presently, but uh, I know I've been playing a lot of Historic, and I think you have too. Not in the last few days. Okay. But I did uh, you know, play for a lot of days right after his, the Historic Horizons came out. Okay, let's, let's come back around to that at the end of the show and grab the excitement right now, talk about these new Innistrad Midnight Hunt cards. Yeah, get to the good stuff first, you know? Mm-hmm. If you want to stick around for historic stuff, cool. So there are some mechanics, and I think we should talk about those first because they're kind of weird, at least compared to, well, maybe not compared to anything, but like given how we are used to doing things, they are strange, I suppose. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. I, I, I like starting that way. It, it feels correct with this set. Not how we usually do things, but I, I'm down for it. So if you want to learn more, uh, Daily MTG is where there's a rules article posted. It's it's kind of buried, but uh, I found it. You can find it too. So I have faith in you. We're going to start with the day and night stuff. And I saw a Twitter post by you, Brian, where apparently you created this mechanic. Yep. Yep. This is mine uh 11 years ago as part of the great designer search i uh, submitted something that kind of sort of almost maybe if you squint hard enough looks like this uh for what it's worth i i don't think they stole my mechanic i don't know if that was clear via my tweet now is it possible that somebody read this and like it worms into your brain sinisterly yeah subconsciously Uh, you're like oh i just thought of this great idea I, I think that's totally possible. That's one of the reasons why I'm very careful with the magic content I consume, because especially when it comes to like podcasting, I really want to be careful about passing somebody else's thoughts or work off as my own, not on purpose, but subconsciously. I would never do that purposefully. I do think it's completely possible that I just kind of integrate it into my own thought process and believe it is my thought. So I'm Same. very careful about that scenario. Uh, so so maybe, maybe I... I possibly got this brainworm started um but you know what wizards you've brought me a lot of joy over the years you're welcome to the day night cycle i hope you use it to the best of your abilities well isn't there some legal ease to you if you do the gds uh, that was so i mean it was literally 11 years ago so i, I can't tell you what the legal ease surrounding it but I, I think you're right i think they do say anything submitted here could potentially be used right be- and it's just to cover their ass it's not like they plan mm-hmm. on doing that it's just that like if you submitted some stuff and then Watsy used something that looked like your mechanic, you could potentially sue them and their lawyers are very good at yes. protecting themselves. Very so, risk averse, I would say. That's yeah. how I would define their lawyers. So new werewolf mechanic, day night, game starts as nothing, neither. And there are some cards that we've seen so far that ETB and make it night or make it day. And then if a player casts no spells during their own turn. It then becomes night once it is day. And then night is if a player casts at least two spells during their turn, it becomes day next turn, which is, I don't know, it's not, not that different than the old werewolf mechanic. But it's global. But it's global. And the difference is, is if it is night and you cast one of these things that's a DFC, it will ETB in the night side. 
for so, what it's for what it's worth, I think this is a better implementation of the werewolf transformation thing. It's, it's way better. Yeah, it, it, I mean, it makes sense that everything that could potentially be a werewolf should be a werewolf at that point in time. Also, other horror things that only come out at night. I, I think it makes a lot of sense for those as well. Right, and the confusing thing to me is that we've had a similar mechanic before right. and I keep wanting to think of it in terms of that, but no, this is different. If it is night and you cast your thing, it's on whatever side says nightbound or whatever. Right. So that is an interesting wrinkle. And I think it's, it's like a definitely like a power level up for a lot of these werewolves too, because a lot of the time it was like, Oh, I have to jump through all these hoops to try and transform it, you know, and now you might just get that off the bat. Right. It really depends how, early you can start the day night cycle how low cost it is to do so and that'll become clearer as we get a a bigger picture of the set but like i said i i like this implementation quite a bit better and i guess i will uh applaud the decision to go back and refine this mechanic despite the fact there's already like this werewolf mechanic out here i think they found a better way to do it and rather than just say well this is what werewolves are and we're going to stick to it forever they were willing to sort of retrace their steps and go back and really redefine what werewolves are supposed to be. And like I said, I think ultimately settling on a better implementation. Yeah. It's, it's kind of wild to do that too. in like a set that is so beloved, mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. And they're just like, no, we can, we can iterate on this. We can do better. And I think that they have. Agreed. Uh, another mechanic is called disturb. And I don't think that there are any specific cards that I wanted to talk about with it, but it is, uh, just an additional cost on a card, and you can cast the card from your graveyard transformed for its disturb cost. So for an example, there's a 1U2-1 that has disturb 1U, and the backside is a 1-2 flyer that if it's put into a graveyard from anywhere, exile instead. So you get like a little something back after your thing like trades off and dies, and then there are some that are like, they have the, this like really big disturb cost and become like a big creature. So if you're like self-milling, doing anything like that, you get a little bit of value, which is cool. I like yep. that. Uh, and then we have Coven, which confused both of us. Yes. It's, it's uh, very simple once you figure it out, but it, I was confused at first. So I'm, I'm just like scrolling through the previews, not reading anything this morning, right? And I read this card and I'm just like, I don't know what this means. <laughs> so I had to look it up. But uh, example card is uh, 4G55 has Coven at the beginning of combat on your turn. If you control three or more creatures with different powers, this game's trample until end of turn. So I was like, do I have to read something on this or like ability keywords now referred to as powers or is this power as in like power toughness? If it's not, it is very strange because, yeah, you already have a thing that refers to power, right? So uh, it turns out it is just power as in power and toughness. Yeah, once you think about it a little bit more, it has to be exactly that. There's no way you would name uh, a different thing power when there already exists something called power that would just be horrible design and I, I wouldn't expect that at all and now that clarity has fallen on me i feel a little silly for even thinking it could mean anything else yeah but i really do think that there's an alternate universe where you know it, it does mean something different and then you're just like what the hell why would you do this that would be bad thankfully that's not what we're dealing with here right 
So it, it does read a little strange. And also, I don't know, this is a human knight that has a coven ability. Apparently there's just a coven of knights. I don't know. That's kind of weird. To me. Covens feel a lot more witchy to me than than knight based. Which is uh, why I thought powers as in like abilities. I don't, yeah, I, I see the steps because I made the same mistake. I'm, I'm with you. Um, yeah, it is weird to see this on a knight. Uh, a coven of knights. That sort of sounds right to me. I, I can't really tell you why, but that doesn't sound offensive to my ears. Well, Coven Coven is just a group. Right. Right. But it but definitely you usually has... see it in the witch context, right? right? At least I usually see it that way. Yeah. I don't know, man. It's it's kind of weird, but it is what it is. It's fine. We'll be okay. We'll get through it. We will. So Oh, how many cards? 11 plus some dual lands. Let's talk about the dual lands right away. How's sure. That sound? Yeah, that sounds good. So we have a cycle of allied dual lands that ETB tapped unless you control two or more lands. So reverse fast lands. I guess we call them slow lands. But like slow land sounds derogatory, right? And like these seem quite good to me. These seem good in several contexts. It is still, I will point out, we just spent some time talking about how frustrated we were that we never got good aggressive mana in certain color combinations throughout this last iteration of Standard. This is sort of doing the same thing. I, I don't think this is as bad as it could be. Like, certainly some aggressive decks will be fine with this, but a better implementation for aggressive decks is fast lands. Um, so kind of flipping this on its head, I do, I do think it favors mid-range and control more than it favors aggressive decks. I think it's still pretty close, though. Like, it's, obviously, it's, close. It's, it's not horrible. I agree with you. Yeah, I mean, this is bad on turn, turn one or turn two, but like after that, it's completely fine. And a lot of the times in, you know, you're talking about like aggro decks, but even decks that need to do stuff early, whatever that means, like... Sometimes you don't have a one drop and like playing this on turn one is completely fine. So I, I think that these are just very strong, very good. I'm with you. I, I, I'm not trying to downplay these cards. They're going to be important dual lands for sure. You, you know, they blow snarls out of the water. It's, it's yes. just night and day. Um, but I just wanted to point out that where we really wanted some good aggro lands, you get lands that don't appear to be aggro focus not saying they're unplayable in aggro just saying they definitely lean more towards the other side of the spectrum maybe only like 60 percent to 40 percent. i don't think it's a dramatic swing towards the favor of mid-range and control but i still think that lean is there so we'll have to keep an eye on how the mana evolves throughout time i'm not mad okay even if i'm a you know two color aggro player i am not mad about these duels i, I think to your point a lot of times the key squeeze point is on turn three, right? Where you're trying to cast like your pip pip one thing on turn three. You're, uh, I don't know, not, nothing springs to mind. I guess like Skyclave Apparition would be a big one in this format where you often want access to uh, a, a double pip and you may want access to a double pip in the other color as well. And it's going to allow that pretty effortless. So. Right. Yep, exactly. And I don't know. You can just get around it by playing more lands, right? Just like add an extra land to your deck and that kind of mitigates the drawback for these a lot of the time and try and obviously have more mana sinks and stuff like that. But yeah, that's kind of modern magic deck building anyway. As many lands as possible, as many mana sinks as possible. So this should play right in with that theory. Right. And then uh, other mechanics. I mean, we talked about flashback the last time that we had uh, preview show a few weeks ago and then we also have investigate back which i thought 
may or may not come back given the nature of the mechanic, but it's it's here and I'm very happy about that. Me too. Like this mechanic, uh, it can be exploitable, abusable in some scenarios, but I, I think overall I'd rather have it than not have it. On to specific cards. We will go in Wooburg order, starting with Brutal Cathar, which is two dub, two two, human soldier werewolf, daybound, and when this creature enters the battlefield or transforms into Brutal Cathar, exile target creature and opponent controls until this creature leaves the battlefield. And the backside is Moonrage Brute, is a 3-3 first strike ward, pay three life, and nightbound. This seems incredible to me. Yeah. Extremely strong. Now, I also want to double check that I am understanding this card properly. So I just want to kind of run through it with you. I think I got it, but it's a confusing card. These are new abilities, so I just want to make sure. Enters the battlefield, you're going to snag one of your opponent's things. It transforms. If, if it enters on the front side. If it enters on the front side. Very true. It transforms. You're going to snag another of your opponent's things yeah. as long as this enters on the front side. So enters, so it has to become the white side of the card. The back side is red, right? So you have to flip back to the front side at Got some you. point to get Got an you. extra creature. Okay. Okay. So it, it, it's not on the flip to the Moon Rage Brute side. It's on the flip back to Brutal Cathar that you can get an extra creature. Correct. So if it is night, when you cast this and it ETBs on the back red side, yep. you, will, you will not Fiend Hunter something. Okay. Okay. This, this makes sense to me. Um, seems powerful still. I am not really worried about the scenario where you want this to remove something and end up with a Moonrage Brute because that seems somewhat manipulatable. Like you are able to cast it as your second spell and then you know it's going to become day on your opponent's turn and you'll get back to Brutal Cathar. Uh, and it's harder for your opponent to break up because this does have the ward ability. So granted, you can certainly pay the three life, but if you're any kind of aggressive deck putting your opponent in the squeeze, they're not going to be super happy about that exchange. Yeah, it's it's nice. This is... I don't know, like the Fiend Hunter type stuff was mostly just like a fancy Oblivion Ring. Like maybe it, maybe it puts some pressure on them, but this thing does that and applies pressure. Yeah, a lot and, of upside. And you have the upside of just snagging a second thing at some point. Really exciting card. Uh, I didn't understand it entirely properly. Now that I do, I'm, I'm still over the moon about it. And uh, I, I think like if the downside of this card is you end up with a Moon Rage Brute, you are going to live with that just fine. There's not going to be any complaints about that. Yeah, because think about playing against a creatureless control deck or something. You get to manipulate it so that it's night, and then you get just like the, the better threat to start off with. You're not caring about exiling a creature anyway. It just, it seems very good. I'm, I'm sure there are scenarios where it's like, it's night, you're having trouble like actually getting it back to day to fiend hunt or something or whatever, but you're still getting like a decent thing out of the deal, like 3-3 first strike. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, and I really love Ward being this vanilla thing that we get to access to. It feels like a very good knob for making creatures just a little bit better. Right, and especially on something that like they want to kill with spot removal, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, other white card we want to talk about, Enduring Angel, or I guess card I want to talk about. Two, dub, 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 so five mana total, three, three, Angel, flying, double strike, you have Hexproof, if your life total would be reduced to zero or less, instead transform this and your life total becomes three. Then if uh, this didn't transform, you lose the game. So like if they kill it with the ability on the stack or whatever. Yep. 
Uh, the backside is a Star Star Angel flying. You have hexproof. Its power and toughness are each equal to your life total. And whenever this attacks, double your life total. Poo-poo on this card, Brian. Go ahead. Uh, it's not that like, I want to poo-poo on this card specifically. I think this is a good uh, five-mana creature that has no enter-the-battlefield ability. It's a very good version of that. However, it's almost impossible for that to matter doesn't really have any way of protecting itself and it's small like the double strike body hits hard but as far as like i don't want to be dies to guy because that guy really really irritates me come preview season but like it does have vulnerability to frostbite and most other removal spells it'll it'll die quite cleanly to that uh and when you're investing five mana in a creature these days i think you just need to get more out of it it's so so hard to make a creature which has no value beyond the body it presents and i will always point back to nighthawk scavenger as my evidence of that like three mana quasi tarmogoyf with flying death touch lifelink and it didn't matter it just didn't matter in the standard and as you push to five mana the burden is even higher and i i think what this card does is impressive i just think it's so hard for these type of creatures to matter yes however it does a lot of stuff it does, and but I, none of it upon entering the battlefield. I well, it it does in that, on like if it doesn't get immediately removed, it it does do a lot of things. Especially if you're talking about like in the context against some sort of aggro deck that is fairly removal light. And granted, we did just talk about a creature that very easily could like fiend hunter this thing in a potentially aggro deck. But mm-hmm. you know, if you're talking about something that's normally like a, a burn burn deck, right? you would go to things like Sigarda, the previous Sigarda that like gave you Hexproof before, or like a matchup where, you know, there's like Discard and Edicts and stuff like that. It's like the you have Hexproof Clause is reasonable. You're playing against an aggro deck where they can't immediately remove it. Uh, I mean, this, this thing is like pretty awesome, right? Like you get to survive through combat, gain a little bit of life back. You have like this big threat. So it has uses. That's all I'm saying. It's got a lot yeah. of text. I just think like the the sizing of it, like thinking about existing aggro decks, mono red, like I said, frostbite, a bunch of other removal spells, even something like mono green aggro right now, uh, you know, primal might. The smaller back end is where it has weakness as opposed to something like Sagarda, which had the five toughness to back it up. And I, I don't know, man. I, I want to be wrong. I, I want cards like this to be good again. I just don't think they will be. Of course, though. Last few sets have been powered down. Uh, this set, I, I don't really know. I'm not going to say where it falls yet. I need to see way more cards. I, I would say it started more powerful than either of the last two sets we've dealt with for sure. Yes. Um, so Agreed we'll see where it ultimately settles. But it does seem like we're trending down in power. So maybe something like this could matter again. Not saying it's good. Just saying that there is a time and a place for this sort of effect. And obviously we have to see what shakes out as far as like matchups and like cards people play and stuff like that. And you know, could could be good, could slot into that paradigm somehow. I'm okay with that assessment. On to blue, Dull Stitcher, to you, creature human wizard, uh, two, three. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, oh, this is another mechanic, I forgot to mention this. Create a two, two black zombie creature token with Decayed. Uh, Decayed is, it can't block, and if it attacks, second end of combat or something. Yes. This is not a card that's in English and doesn't have reminder text. Let me find it. Yeah, when it attacks, sacrifice it into combat. So you make a decayed zombie, which is dope as hell. 
And at the beginning of your upkeep, if you control three or more creature tokens, you may transform this. Backside is Toy Factory and Artifact. Creature tokens you control lose all abilities and have base power and toughness 3-3. Three, three. At the beginning of your upkeep, you may transform this. So uh, Decayed is such a good thing to have on a zombie token specifically. Like, it is so much more flavorful. Like, ETB Tapped yeah, yeah, kind of yeah, yeah. did that or whatever, but it is nice. I agree with you. Another nice job of upgrading flavor uh, where we already have a solution for this thing, but this feels better. Decade feels better than just a stupid tap token. So uh, again, a nice switch. What doesn't really track for me flavor wise is like, I have always seen these transform cards as like this thing becomes something else. I'm not sure how creepy guy who's making dolls becomes a factory. Uh, I guess like capitalism. Yeah, maybe capitalism. And we do see he's, <laughs> he's hooked into the machine. If you look at the art here, the uh, the doll maker is like in a tank, seemingly having his psychic energy drained from him to create these dolls, I think. So, yeah, I, I'm with that. That's a very clear representation of capitalism. Thank you, Wizards, for shouting out uh, the flaws inherent in our system via this beautiful artwork. The weird thing is there's there's nothing that you have to do to train. It's just beginning of your upkeep. You can transform it back. Yeah, that's cool. That, that's real cool. And I, I think like we've talked a bit in the past about abilities that aren't capped by mana. This falls in that category. Uh, if you just sort of go off. Uh, I mean, we've done it with Talrand in the past. Granted, those tokens were much more permanent, had flying. Uh, a lot of things Talrand did very well that this card does not do. And I'm not even sure Talrand would be a great card today, uh, certainly from a different era, and was accompanied by Phyrexian mana spells, which helped a bunch. But keep, still. <laughs> keep in mind that we also like poo-pooed all over Sedgemore Witch. So I don't want to make yeah. it seem like, you know, I think that this card is great or whatever. It's just that this is another iteration along those lines and i don't know it's sedgemore which saw about as much play as nighthawk scavenger did which you brought up right and for a lot of the same reasons yes that is very true and uh, this could go the same more out uh the flexibility though is cool i i appreciate this card for its potential and it's really going to be about what spells surround it although flashback being present in the set helps a bunch you yep. know you never run out of gas for it uh, and the flexibility of this is cool too. I like that you can just upgrade your army or get more army and you'll choose when that happens. Well, other blue card that we want to talk about is Secrets of the Key. You instant investigate. If this spell was cast from a graveyard, investigate twice instead. It has flashback for three U. So uh, three artifacts, three cards output from this one common card uh that's a lot that's just really really big output uh it's expensive as heck but also there's this world where like having the artifact matters a bunch um for enabling certain synergies for sacrificing that artifact to things like indomitable creativity which i think is pretty important uh particularly in the historic format right now so i could see this card seeing play there but I, I'm just in on this card. I think it does plenty and will probably find a home if there's any art, artifact synergies to exploit. You, on the other hand, hate this card, but for a very different reason <laughs> that I'm, I'm curious to hear more about. I, I think this card is playable and I really don't want to put it in any of my decks because at the bottom of the card, in a way that is like very bold, which I guess makes sense for their purposes, says, read the web fiction to find out more. 
And it's a story spotlight card. It links to mtgstory.com on the bottom. And like, I, I get it. I, I liked when they were like, okay, here's, you know, the story spotlight cards. But this is just like, I don't know, breaking the fourth wall, I guess. It's just like too much for me. Uh, yeah, well, once this is cast alongside your chug jug, I don't think you'll be all that concerned about the fourth wall anymore. <laughs> I'll, so. I'll have bigger complaints, I guess. Yeah, you'll find. I, I mean, I get what you're saying. It, it is very on its face. Uh, but in defense of doing this, I mostly didn't notice the old way of doing this, which is to say, you know, story spotlight and then have mtgstory.com at the bottom. The way this card still does, if you go look at it, it does the same thing. It's just got this huge slash across it that says read the web fiction to find out more. Do a different border or something. Like if that's your problem, don't don't do it in this blatant way. You know, like you tried you tried to do it in a, a way that didn't it wasn't like disruptive, you know? Mm-hmm. And I thought that that was that was cool, but clearly not enough people got it. Right. So they're like, oh, we have to do something more. I don't think this was the best answer. How about let me see how you feel about this QR code. I mean, could you accept that? Like in the middle, if you're looking at the card right now, put it in the middle between, you know, the artist credit, the story spotlight, where there's that empty space right in the bottom of the card. Where usually the foil stamp would go on a rare. How small can QR codes get? And also, is that intrusive for what it is? They they can get small. I I only know that because I uh, was setting up something recently that had a really tiny QR code, and it, it took a little while for my phone to focus on it, but it did, and it worked. Uh, I also saw something online that someone said QR codes actually becoming useful has to be the greatest upset in the history of technology, which I agree with 100%. Just because it it should not have succeeded? Seems so stupid, right? And it it was so stupid for a long time. Nobody used QR codes for anything. And now they actually have some use. Yeah, it's weird. So, uh, I don't know. Like The only time I really use QR codes is like through Genshin Impact, where it's like you play on PlayStation and it wants to take you to a browser. So I have to like put my phone up to my TV screen to scan the QR code. And it's like, well, this is like kind of silly, but I, I see the implementation where maybe it could be good. Like instead of like typing in MTG story, maybe you just scan your phone on this thing. Right. right? Like, I've used them a bunch recently, like setting up new technology in my house. It comes up all the time. My security system used it uh, in setting up. I recently got my PlayStation 5 fixed and got it back. But I think I got a new one because it didn't have any of my stuff on it when I got it back. So it's possible it's just a new unit. It's not really clear. Um, but like adding all of my uh, media stuff, you know, the Netflix crunchy roll type yeah, stuff. Yeah. You th- a lot of those use QR codes, which I find very convenient now. Um, discord is one where you log into a new, uh, discord via QR code from your phone. I, I like that method. Uh, it seems a little bit more secure. So I, I don't know. They've, they've just been useful to me lately. I don't know, man. Apple pay to me is like kind of ridi- ridiculous, but like if people can do that, they can do QR codes. It's not that different. You don't use Apple Pay? I love Apple Pay. Nah. Do you want to take out your credit card instead and put it in the little slot? I mean, it's for for me, it's like way easier to just do that when I'm used to like pulling out my wallet and like maybe I'm getting ID'd for my nicotine fix or whatever. So my wallet's already out, right? Okay. Instead of like doing my phone and like trying to hope that like it scans or like picks it up or whatever versus just like putting the card in and out. That seems pretty easy. The chip makes it pretty easy. 
I, I go a lot of places without my wallet now. I probably shouldn't do that. I don't know why I do, but for whatever reason, I just like oftentimes if I'm out biking or something, I won't have my wallet on me, but I always bring my phone with me. So Whoa. that's a really good time for me to use my Apple pay. And what do you do with your ID? I don't carry my ID with me. Well, what, what if you get into an accident? Uh, I, I will die alone <laughs> the way every human on earth does. I mean, I, I mean, yeah, that's dude, that's a bad idea. You should have your ID on you so that they can like call Janelle or whatever. Cause otherwise how are they going to identify you? You could open my, you could open my phone maybe. Right. Does your phone not have a, a pass lock thing? It does. Okay. Hold um, it to my dead corpse and use my face oh to unlock God. it. <laughs> That works, right? You don't have to be alive but to where, use the where Face on, ID. Where on your phone does it say your ID? You want them to like go into your Facebook app or like, yeah, come see on, who man. I, see who I called last and call them. Uh, that's that's weird. I haven't called anyone in a long time. They're not going to find much. <laughs> it's like, well, in 2014, you called <laughs> this person who is now deceased. Okay, great. Yeah, that might be the best best result they find. See, that that's kind of the thing, too, is like I'm already carrying my wallet because of my ID. Right. So like, why would I not just use my credit card if my ID is already in my hand? All right. So how about this? You could use uh, like a, a fancy phone case that just carries like your ID and then you'd have everything with you and you pay via your phone. I uh, could do that. I would hope that Apple Pay can pick up whatever through the phone case, you know, obviously. But. Yeah, yeah, it can. The, the new ones anyway, they have like the, the MagSafe stuff. Okay, good. Yeah. Uh, it all it all works very easily. Yeah, that's probably fine. I could see like, I don't know. It's like if I'm playing games on my phone then I don't want this like, having a phone case is fine, but then you have like this obtrusive wallet phone case is like kind of maybe a little bit much. But Right, right. Yeah, these new ones are much slimmer, like low profile. And actually like that's the reason to not have your credit card with you is that it's just like you just fit the essentials in. So basically just your ID is all you need. But then how do I buy something online? <laughs> you don't have all your stuff saved for that? I, I mean... Yeah, what if it's a new website? All right. Look, there's no perfect answers out here. I'm just no, saying not. I, I'm into Apple Pay. I use it a lot. Good. Carry your ID. The end. Okay. All right. Black cards or black card. Jadar, ghoul caller of Nefalia. 1B11, legendary creature, human wizard. At the beginning of your end step, if you control no creatures with decayed, create a 2-2 black zombie creature token with decayed. I appreciate a consistent source of fodder always to the extent that I usually overvalue these. And uh, Jadar in particular seems low impact for this type of setup, a legendary creature, so it can't be out there in multiples, very fragile body at 1-1. One, one. The tokens being made, meh, a little dicey. The decayed ability certainly limits their effectiveness in multiple scenarios. Um, but still, if you're just looking for disposable stuff, Jadar does a great job of bringing that together. And there's certainly been enough decks that just want masses of bodies around and ways to cash them in on every single turn. So if anything like that exists, Jadar will have a decent home. Plum. Plum the Forbidden. Yeah, that's that's a nice one. I mean, you, you can never have more than one of these tokens in play. That's the problem. And Plum really wants you to have a huge amount of them. Uh, something. I, I'm just saying that this, this gives you constant plus one. It does. It does. Uh, something better would be like a reusable sack outlet. Um, yes. And and then you're really getting paid on this, but nothing comes to mind immediately. I know there's there was the like uh, weird sacrifice a creature draw card artifact in black, which I believe is rotating. Um, what else is out there? Do we have gotta, do we have village rights? Is that card evergreen yet? 
It's got to be close. Although with with Plum existing, maybe that's the replacement. Well, you have you have the two mana one that like makes a treasure. Yep, that's true. So that's true. That card is always enabled when you have this one, right? Yeah. So I think that's a fine way of looking at it. The other way of looking at it is just like this is a three one. Right, because like you play it, you get a token, you can attack for three next turn, get another token. Like, just as an aggressive creature kind of riding solo, this seems fine to me, also. Yep. And there will be space to, if you want to do the village rights thing where you can attack with the creature and still like pop it off of village rights before right. it actually hits end of combat. So that's yep. cool. Yeah. A little interaction. Yeah. So I, I think this card is reasonable. Again, context matters. Like, what are we looking at as far as like decks and the surrounding things? But. Yep. That stuff aside, this card has appealing text. Okay, I'll, I'll take that assessment. Are you ready for something with non-appealing text? Sure. Why, why are we talking about non-appealing things? <laughs> uh, because it's relevant to our common interest. Okay. Festival Crasher, red card, 1R, 1-3, Creature Devil. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, this gets plus 2, plus 0 until end of turn. Uh... Shared history includes the Megas Elemental. Kiln Fiend was in that deck. Yeah. This yeah, is yeah. Bad uh, Kiln Fiend. Weaker pump than Kiln Fiend, but extra toughness, which may or may not be relevant. Uh, it definitely matters a lot more if you're like getting into combat repeatedly, right? And uh, the thing that I brought up when you were just immediately like, no, I'm not going to talk about this card, I refuse, was Clever Lumomancer and just having things of that nature from Strixhaven where. This is this is sort of like a thing that can help you with that. It just adds re- redundancy. Yeah, and I do love a clever Lumomancer, so I reluctantly allowed you to bring it onto the podcast. Uh, you know, if there's enough of that effect, then maybe we'll find some way to finally go ahead and break clever Lumomancer. And that's a card that fell off real fast, huh? It was like doing a little bit in standard. It was getting some modern play, and now I hear very little about it at this point. Yeah, people just went back to doing the prowess stuff. I think that there is a time and a place for that strat because you're more focused on like the turn three kills, but modern has had so much interaction that Mm -hmm. you just can't really focus on stuff like that. And now like Fury, Solitude, those cards, they just kind of make that card embarrassing. Yes, they do. On to green, we have a whopping one mono green card, Snarling Wolf, G11, Creature Wolf, 1G, this gets plus two, plus two until end of turn. Activate only once each turn. So we, we have a little basking wolf walla. Yeah. I hope I don't ever have to play this. You might. You, you might. If, you're, if there is some, you know, wolf tribal payoffs or whatever, uh, this, this card fits. And I think that that was kind of the problem with those decks earlier was that just lack of one drops, really. And... I don't know, I feel like wolves and werewolves in general are one of the things that has missed for competitive. And if they oh, wanted to, if they wanted to switch it up this time around, I think that would be a net good thing. Obviously, they're just wildly popular in uh, you know, like more casual settings, however you want to describe them. But I feel like if if we finally had like a werewolves deck in standard, that would be awesome. Yeah, and some foundational pieces uh, are necessary if that's going to work. So maybe this is this is a plant for that a way to make it work. And also, I'll point out that we get two sets of Innistrad stuff. I, I don't know how much crossover there's going to be on the werewolf side of things, although we see vampires already showing up in this set. So I have to assume there's some werewolves in the next Innistrad set as well. Uh, that makes it even more likely that there's enough tribal support for this to work. Yeah, and this is the wolf set. 
you know, mm-hmm. it's gotta be something. I would think so. Uh, onto the gold cards and we have a couple of werewolf cards, but I, again, I don't know if this is like enough to get them there. You know what I mean? So we we're still waiting, I think, but we have a red green legendary creature in Tovalar dire overlord one RG three, three, Legendary creature, human werewolf. Whenever a wolf or werewolf you control deals combat damage to a player, draw a card. At the beginning of your upkeep, if you control three or more wolves and or werewolves, it becomes night. Then transform any number of human werewolves you control. And this thing also has day bound, so ETB make it day. Uh, Well, if if it is nothing, make it day. Mm -hmm. Uh, And backside is a 4-4. Whenever a wolf or werewolf you control deals combat damage to a player, draw a card. And XRG, target wolf or werewolf gets, uh, target wolf or werewolf you control gets plus X plus O and gains trample until end of turn and has night bound. So they thought it was important enough to keep the draw card thing on both sides. And yep. the, the backside is the Kessig Wolf run for wolves and werewolves. So like this, this is again, like a, a good start, a good piece of the puzzle. A lot of good text, and I, I like that we're also starting from a card advantage point of view when we're trying to enable this tribe. Because if it's just here's my beaters, uh, the the rates already are making me concerned. Because three mana for a three three, maybe it's a four four. That's that's not going to get the job done in current magic. So it needs to offer some other kind of wrinkle. And the idea that like these werewolves and wolves are very difficult to block because they're getting pumped all the time via this Lord or their own inherent abilities. uh, That's cool. Uh, That puts your opponent in a squeeze and it gives werewolves a unique personality that I think they've mostly been missing. Like obviously transformation is the core of their personality, but in terms of playing games, they just sort of feel like two different creatures a lot of times. And there's no real thematic thing I can seize upon that the werewolves are trying to accomplish here the deceptive um card advantage type game is is this hint at an identity that i really like yeah plus historically these decks were just like all right play some vanilla creatures that kind of get big and then they get dealt with and also the big side of things was not that much better than the other stuff that that people were doing Yep. So you just like kind of run out of gas. So yeah, focusing on the the draw cards thing and the early drop creatures is like okay, maybe maybe we got a stew going. I think so. Uh, other card, uh, new Arlen, Arlen the Pax Hope two RG, Planeswalker Arlen four starting loyalty day bound, plus one until your next turn. You may cast creature spells as though they had flash, and each creature you control enters the battlefield with an additional plus one plus one counter on it. Minus three, create two, two, two green wolf creature tokens. Uh, backside is same loyalty, nightbound, plus two, add RG, and then zero until end of turn. This becomes a five, five werewolf creature with trample, indestructible, and haste. Wow. A uh, lot of abilities on this card, a lot of stuff it's doing, all of which I think are close to good enough and have me hopeful that you can make werewolves work. I, I really love how the plus one on the front side plays so well with the day bound night bound manipulation and allows you to go ahead and, and get your werewolves set up. Yeah. With flash. It, it's like a little heavy handed. I don't, I don't think that it necessarily like makes sense thematically outside of like, Oh, we're abusing the mechanic this way. But uh, I, if you force me to, I could come up with a justification for it. I think. 
uh, a flavor justification and have it be plausible at least, which is fine with me. That's all I really need. If, if you're hinting at the idea, uh, I'll do the rest. I, I like the style of show, don't tell. So if I can come up with a reason why this makes sense, then that's good enough for me. But more importantly, I think this is going to put a lot of decks in a, a very difficult position. The fact that you're creating three threats immediately upon entering from the daybound side, you have Arlen itself plus two, two, two green wolf creatures. Uh, that's great defense for this card, first of all. Yeah. And also just extremely hard for you to deal with. And then you're setting up to do more damage from the backside for from Arlen's the Mew, Moon's Fury. Um, so I, I think this puts so much power onto the battlefield so efficiently that decks that don't interact on the battlefield are going to have a really tough time dealing with Arlen. And decks like this have to pressure control effectively or they'll just get squeezed out by removal spells. I think Arlen's a great way to do that. Yeah, and if you cast it when it's night, it's just 5-5 five, five Huge. Piece. Just huge, yeah. Which, which is awesome. The mana ability is kind of weird, but it helps you cast two spells mm -hmm. to maybe flip it back if you need to. So it's... I think it is like a little heavy handed in in terms of like application or whatever, but like it, it it's for good reason. It ends up being a very strong card, I think. Yeah, and I think it's going to play really fun managing these abilities and contrasting them with each other. Yes, I agree with that too. Uh, next gold card, Sigarda, Champion of Light, one G Dub Dub, four mana total, four four legendary creature, Angel, flying trample, humans you control get plus one plus one, and Coven. Whenever this attacks, if you control three or more creatures with different powers, look at the top five cards of your library. You may reveal a human creature card from among them, put it into your hand, put the rest on the bottom in a random order. Basically, Winota. Uh, sort of. Uh, <laughs> a little bit more ground to cover there. I mean, you're a human guy. Tell me what you think about this card. I think, like, one as a top end in traditional human decks is okay if we're talking in terms of like standard because mm -hmm. normally they're you know one and two drop creatures you have like some lords at three mana or whatever and then you can afford to play like a four drop and a five drop or something so like this kind of fits into that and i don't know i feel like if you're triggering the coven thing you're probably doing pretty all right for yourself like you played a four drop it lives it, it's an anthem it's good in combat like yeah, you're you're drawing an additional human, cool, whatever. Yeah, I I am concerned that it's a source of card advantage when you already have a bunch of cardboard, which is not exactly where I want to be. Unless it's really explosive like Winota is, this is certainly less explosive. Now, it's good at breaking board stalls. Uh, you know, if a human's deck was a thing and they just kind of got in positions where they stared at each other on the ground, I could see Sigarder being extremely important in that matchup because it changes sizing, allows you to fly over the battlefield and generate some card advantage there. So sure, it seems like an absolute mirror breaker in that spot. Uh, but that's a very specific application in terms of just raw rate. I'm basically with you. I could see a one of in some spots being fine, uh, but this isn't breaking any boundaries for me have a better idea of where i stand there are a lot of cards i wanted to talk about where it's like okay i can see potential for this and those are still below the list of things where i'm like okay this is playable mm. and this is below those <laughs> so i'm not okay. very hopeful but again it, it, it does have a lot of text yeah if you're board stalling cool it's a four mana four four flyer that's not bad but doesn't do anything on etb so big problem last card Another gold one, Galvanic Iteration. You are instant. When you cast your next instant or sorcery spell this turn, copy that spell. You may choose new targets. 
flashback one you are all right here's why i wanted to talk about this i I don't think it's good i don't really have much to do with it right now but i do know that when you can copy things multiple times at instant speed things can break and things can break uh pretty easily in that scenario so this with something like unsubstantiate if you just have infinite mana is sort of messed up um i i I don't know that i want to build a deck around that interaction especially because i think we're losing up unsubstantiate in uh relevant formats anyway so that's not specifically what we're going to do but i just wanted to point out that being able to do this stuff can be messed up and you should keep track of it and it's quite possible that you're going to be able to combine something with galvanic iteration and maybe just win the game yeah i mean this is also a card that seems like it could just be reasonable in different combo shells but like the whole blue red spells you know fork my stuff or whatever is not a thing i'm an expert in so it's not even like i could tell you how to build the archetype i can't even tell you like what cards are legal for that sort of archetype but Mm -hmm. the the first thing that comes to my mind is like maybe you play one of this in like modern gift storm because it's kind of like a free spell to gifts for and it's like relatively powerful yeah yeah, I could see that. I mean, they already uh, played something. Man, the card is so rarely played. I can't even. Increasing Vengeance, maybe, is the name of it. Yeah. Is it, did I get that right? Uh, I mean, that is that's a four card. And then if you flash it back, it forks twice or something. Right. Yeah. So this is sort of similar to that. And that's not widely played in Storm at this point. But there was a moment where that card saw a small amount of play. So I, I think you're right. I think there's there's value in these type of interactions, especially when you pair them up with rituals. These are often quite good so could be a home for this long term it's a card it has text it does something agreed not necessarily something we're interested in but it does have text somebody will be interested not bad though for i mean i guess like the second wave of previews this kind of feels like the first real dump of cards you get Mm -hmm. uh look into the mechanics of the set and kind of like what the set is going to look like and i'm i'm surprised i'm pleasantly surprised i'm happy about it me too. Uh, you know, we're recording this on Thursday, so we have literally only one day of stuff to work with. And I thought we had a pretty interesting, pretty full show. And we're already starting to see some hints of where the future of Standard could go. So that's that's exciting stuff. So now we get to talk about Historic. Yes. So I have to start by giving credit to you. Uh, I thought your article on Star City this week was excellent. And I also think your deck is excellent. So you can... Uh, you can you can go tell us what you were working on, what you were playing, uh, what your experience has been. I was playing a lot of Phoenix and I'm going to look up this dude's name because so generally what I have going on is like I'll be doing something, but then I'll have like Twitch on in the background on my TV. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes it's a TV show if like uh, nothing really magic related is happening you know i'm not super interested in watching twitch but like my default i think at this point is watching twitch and uh a lot of it was modern surrounding mh2 coming out and then recently with historic i was watching a a bunch of different people and uh mtg nage is this person's uh twitter so at mtg nage and uh japanese dude and was just like streaming historic was one of the people that was streaming historic like a lot. So I just ended up watching him over 
uh, other folks because like not a lot of people were doing it or they were like, well, I'm playing Phoenix with Stormwing Entity or I'm playing Merfolk or whatever. I'm just like, well, I'm not trying to watch you, you know? Mm. And he was, he would just like play a bunch of decks and like you go to his Twitter, you see all his stuff. There's like uh, Red Green Madness and he tried out a bunch of different like Mono Red Phoenix decks and it's basically just given me like a lot of inspiration. So I was trying some of the stuff that he was doing in terms of like Mono Red Phoenix and uh, he had like a, a mono red prowess deck that had the RR Phoenix, Mana Gorger Phoenix, yep. but, but not Arclight Phoenix. Interesting. And, yeah. So I don't know, just, just like good deck builder, good player, and uh, was trying a lot of his ideas out. I think, so like when we talked last, I think I said that like mono red Phoenix seemed like very, very bad. And then from watching his stuff, I think I've gotten into a place where it's fine, but it's still like, really weak to graveyard hate and i've i've fixed that to some degree it's like not as bad as it was but i don't know i think if i were to continue to play more i would look at what this person is doing that's cool always nice when we find someone out there doing good work uh obviously a lot of magic is being inspired by other people and you know, taking little bits and pieces from everywhere and trying to make it your own thing and your own uh, contribution. I, I basically just played your Phoenix list from your article. And, uh, you know, your your conclusion that you put forth was, I will play this deck against anyone and anything. It feels good. Uh, that has mirrored my own experience. I, I think you're strong against graveyard hate. I think you have game against absolutely everyone. You win plenty of games on, you know, turn five with disruption or removal. And there really doesn't seem to be anything in the historic format that you couldn't account for. Not to say your list absolutely accounted for everything, but all the tools are there. And wh whatever you need to prepare for, I think Phoenix can do it right now. Yeah. Uh, was, was there anything that you wanted to change necessarily? No, I, I didn't find anything. It's just like, what is the meta going to become? Uh, obviously, there's like weird Tybalt's trickery stuff going on. And again, I'm not even sure like that's great but it's annoying and you don't want to lose to it. And a lot of people are playing it. So uh, maybe that demands some more respect. There's the indomitable creativity list that I've seen a bunch of, which I think are meh. Like, like they're fine. I, I just don't know. Like, I think there's much more proactive ways to play the game and still have access to some of the things that that deck does well. Like it's quasi control plan. I would just play Phoenix. Like I think you're, you're playing a better game plan and you're not reliant on your one big thing. And eventually people will answer Sarah's emissary. Like it's not really that hard of a card to play through. Uh, at least in my experience, I've certainly beaten it plenty of times. And um, I, I just think like Phoenix sort of does it all. And that's, if I had to play a tournament, that's the deck. Well, all right. I'm, I'm not sure, actually, because I want to talk about what I worked on as well. But let's talk more about Phoenix, and then I'll get to if I had to play a tournament, what deck I would play. Yeah, I, I think the creativity decks are solid, but very beatable. And mm -hmm. maybe we're not at the point where people are like, oh, OK, I do have to account for this deck still. So we'll, we'll get to that point eventually, and then that deck will cease to be until things circle back around again. Yeah, that's, that's my general read on it. I, I don't think it's like intrinsically bad or anything I, I think it's completely fine it just seems like you can account for it and uh even like it also strikes me as a deck that really punishes people who make mistakes 
like if you if you don't understand what you're going to eventually be facing you can leave yourself very dead uh so as you play better competition i would expect that that deck does worse and worse over time yeah so i don't know you're like oh let's talk about phoenix and you're like your phoenix deck is really good the only thing i really have to say is i know like okay. <laughs> that, that's, that, that's fine that's why i wrote the article right and everything that i said in the article i truly believe which is typically how i write things so yeah if you want a good list of that uh check out the article I guess it'll be free on monday i think uh that sounds correct because our articles actually came out on the same day this week we both came out on monday um both were behind premium so maybe folks haven't had a chance to read them yet but they will be able to come this coming monday and this is why i hesitated saying like i would 100 percent play phoenix in a tournament because i have been playing it on ladder because i think it's a lot of fun to play it's the type of deck i enjoy playing the deck that i came up with is not the type of deck i generally enjoy playing but i do think it's very very good and has room to be even better my article was all about vesper lark and when we did our show last week i kind of had a mixed review of the vesper lark combo i i was winning i appreciated a bunch of stuff i found but in my article i basically laid out my entire progression of vesper lark going from abzan uh built around bolus of citadel and the combo and then a mardu artifacts list then an esper artifacts list soul sisters with vesper lark zombie vesper lark mardu vesper lark just playing good cards alongside it and then i got to the point which i reached only after we did our podcast last week and it came much like you you spent time watching twitch i spent time browsing twitter and i saw someone speaking about the scurry oak combo and if you don't know scurry oak uh you're not alone this is two colorless g creature tree folk evolve whenever one or more plus one plus one counters are put on scurry oak you may create a one one green squirrel creature token uh the joke here is that if you have this in play with a soul warden and a heliod you have all the squirrels you could ever want and i am someone who wants a lot of squirrels so that's a very large number uh, also works with like Prosperous Innkeeper, any of the other triggers you might find. So this kind of unlocked the Vesper Lark deck for me. I was able to put in an additional combo to go alongside things. I found uh, a package with Fiend Artisan where I could find some bullets, not a lot of bullets, just one of Ranger Captain, one of Selfless Savior, one of Skyclave Apparition. But it made it trivial to really set up the combo. I'm a collected company deck. 29 creatures so i can live with it i am mostly hitting something on my collected companies and it helps that i don't really care what i hit like a lot of times with collected company you're like if i hit two three drops i'm over the moon but there's a lot of spots here where just hitting your one drops is just as important and if you find a three drop you're going to be really far ahead or maybe you just find some fiend artisans and beat down a little bit uh, which is something that happened a lot with this deck i'm very pleased with the end results uh i found here i think it's the type of creature combo deck that can have game for the long term in the format. It reminds me of either the Heliod decks in Pioneer or the Heliod decks, which currently exist in Modern, which have certainly fallen a bit out of favor, but they're still there. They're still strong. This feels like the historic version of it for sure. Has like how annoying has it been? Annoying. It's so annoying. And that's that's another part of the reason why, like you're asking me what I'm playing on ladder, I'm playing Phoenix. I don't want to play this deck on ladder. It's annoying. And there's spots where like you're theoretically your only play is to gain infinite life. And that doesn't really work on arena. You're going to gain like 70 life and you can probably still lose pretty easily. So uh, that's frustrating. 
And I, I don't know that you fix that in a tournament scenario either. It's basically the same spot. So there's there's some questions with doing the mechanics of this deck that I don't think are quite answered and might lead me to playing Phoenix. But as far as quality of the deck, if this was a paper tournament, which is sort of impossible with Devriel's Weathering, although not really, like that card could exist if it wanted to. Uh, I, I think this deck is extremely strong. Yeah, I guess it's like kind of awkward, huh? Because I, I, there was a period where I was like, oh, you know, if paper tournaments come back, SCG Tour, maybe they start running Historic. Now maybe they can't, or it's like Historic minus those cards. Uh, I don't think it happens anymore. Yeah. It just it those just, cards existing really put a nail in the coffin. I know, and it's really sad, right? I agree. I agree with you because I've been enjoying playing Historic quite a bit for what it's worth. So, yeah, I think it's, I think it's better than Pioneer, which I think to a lot of people that's not going to be saying a whole lot. But I think that Pioneer is like still completely reasonable. Yep. And when when no one else was like streaming Historic or Modern, I would watch Michael Jacobs stream Pioneer because mm-hmm. he was playing a decent amount of that format. You know, like they have like the same kind of John Citadel stuff, but there's like blue white artifacts, and he was playing. What's the the blue green enchantment birthing pod? Oh, uh, enigmatic incarnation. Yeah, that one. Yeah, that's good. And basically, I was just like watching him crush all the pioneer challenges. That might have been what it was. It was like I would watch people play the modern challenges, and then once they were done, he would be like finishing up the pioneer ones. Okay. Uh, so I don't know. Like that that format still looked good to me. It, it didn't really have anything that was exciting to play with or against or whatever. And I think that historic has a decent amount of that stuff, but. Yeah, I think it's like slightly better than Pioneer, maybe like a little bit worse than Modern, but like mm-hmm. definitely better than Standard. Almost. Miles better than Standard. And maybe that changes. Maybe Standard comes back and... Hopefully. Is awesome. We'll see. But yeah, like Historic is definitely one of the formats that I would like to play if we were going to like play tournaments again. So it does make me kind of sad, but I don't know. Maybe you could just do it and just ban those things and it'll be fine. Yeah, I... There's a, uh, they're not going to. It's, it's a moot point. Like they, they have cast their die at this point it, it's done it's not happening paper historic not going to be a thing i'm sure of it yeah kind of the problem with that is like are people going to want to buy real life cards for a format that is primarily online and i think the answer to that is no but uh, i don't know why anyone buys real life cards anymore it continues to amaze me that they sell as many as they do <laughs> given that there's no incentive to own them so do you, do you not follow anyone on twitter because that's basically all i see is people just like look what i bought <laughs> yeah uh I, I guess i'm guilty too I, I got a uh foil borderless urian in the mail today that was that was a pretty big mail day for me yeah that's not bad i mean yeah. you, you also bought a bunch of flesh and blood stuff which is basically the same thing Yep. Yeah. Pretty similar. Not really much you can do. it. I mean, I, I guess you could. I don't I don't think you should. Uh, that's been disappointing. I've really enjoyed that game. I wish they weren't running this calling. I, I think it's a huge mistake. And I uh, am sensitive to the financial pressures everyone is facing throughout all of this. But I don't know, man. I, I, I really like what they're doing from a creating a tournament structure. Uh, I think they're doing a great job with that. And the developers seem very interested in supporting what players want and uh they've done a great job showing off their preview content and it's really just been a home run for me i've enjoyed the game a ton i i hate that they're doing this event this weekend though i think it's such a bad idea yeah what are you gonna do i mean i've 
seen a few people saying that like they're not going, which is yep. good. I saw, I I saw a bunch of people cancel as well. And I, I do think that's the right call. It sucks. I, I wanted to go. I really did. Uh, and, you know, circumstances being different, I would have. But it's, it's just not the right time. Well, I don't know if it's time for me to get into flesh and blood yet. But, you know, if you want to go, go ahead and start a flesh and blood podcast that you can talk about it, you're more than welcome to. Uh, I don't know enough yet, but when I do, I'm coming for you, World of Flesh and Blood. I will take over that content space. I will own it all. Maybe and all content will flow through me. Maybe that's the premise of the podcast, though, is like you you have someone like Austin Yost be the expert and, you know, teach you all the things you need to know about Flesh and Blood. That sounds intriguing. Uh, I don't want to do that work, but if I did, then I would be on board with that. So Austin, if you want to go ahead, find an editor, uh, come up with a format every week and just call me <laughs> and be like, it's time to go, then I, I'm basically willing to participate. But anything beyond that, it's, it's too much for me. I'm, I'm a broken man, Jerry. I don't have that kind of motivation right now. Yeah, I think every week or every two weeks, you could reasonably do that. Just like, you know, Pop on the phone, talk for an hour or two, get your flesh mm -hmm. and blood fixed for the week. Mm -hmm. Well, there are some flesh and blood podcasts out there already, and I, I think they do a good job. I'm going to put this advice out there without naming any of them, because I, I do enjoy them. I think they're doing a fine job presenting. But I, I won't listen to a podcast where the hosts don't have good microphones. It's just never, never going to happen. I don't care how interesting you are. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how good your information is. I can't reliably listen to you if there's like static and crackling and one person's 15 decibels louder than the other person. It just drives me bonkers. I can't sit through the podcast. So please, 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 flesh and blood people, fix your microphones. That's all I ask. Part of that could be editing too, but I, I assume for sure. I assume that gets a lot easier with good equipment. Yeah, you can tell when it's just like talking to your webcam. And uh, uh, yeah. That yeah. doesn't cut it. Webcam mic is your band. I, I don't think you need like a multi hundred dollar microphone for what it's worth. I think like the Blue Yeti that you used for a long time, that's under a hundred dollars, right? Like 80 bucks or something yeah. like that. Yep. Yeah. I, I think that's more than enough for most podcasts uh, to sound very, very professional and good. But you got to take at least that step for me, please. I'm begging you. <laughs> well, dude, you already have the mic and you have a couple boxes of flesh and blood. So you're good oh, to I go. Have a, I have a lot of boxes of flesh and blood. Oh, I bought a lot. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Game, I guess. Sure. Good luck.